I am very grateful to Chuck that he would entrust his music stand to me. He used to say pulpit, but music stand to me. And uh, I hope he doesn't regret it when we're done. He, I, I'm here really on assignment. Uh, I understand you've been involved in a uh, series on prayer. You, you know any, any relationship you have, any relationship you have is based on two pillars, trust and respect. Uh, if you don't trust somebody, you don't respect them, you don't respect that they mean what they say, and you don't trust that they are going to do what they promise, there's no relationship. And so the question comes up, all right, we, we, we say we're not a religion. We say we have a relationship uh, with our Heavenly Father, with God. Well, if it is a relationship, then we've got to ask, does he mean what he say, says, and does he do what he promises? And, and so the question that I, I've been assigned with this great passage in Luke 11 is the question, all right, does God mean what he says when he says, I hear your prayers? And does he do what he promises? Does he answer our prayers? I mean, I, I think this, this unanswered prayer phenomenon is like a cancer that just eats away at your faith. Nobody wants to admit it. Because you don't go into church and say, I'm not so sure I believe God answers my prayer, even here's my prayer. Because, you know, you just know that's, that's going to go over like a pregnant pole vaulter, right? It's just not going to happen well in the church. So you kind of keep it to yourself. Meanwhile, this, this excitement you have in your relationship with your Heavenly Father just kind of grows cold. And you don't know why. And people pray for you, and you study more, and you memorize more, and you go to church more, and it's just not happening. It could be, because down deep, you're not so convinced. God means what he says, and he does what he promises in this area of, of prayer. When you were young, did you learn the prayer? The Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven... Thy kingdom come. Well, apparently, some of you might. I'm thinking those those you older ones. You might remember uh, a few years ago, William Perry, Chicago Bears, when he actually had a team. <laughs> a few some years ago. Well, William Perry with Chicago Bears, he he was called the Fridge. Remarkable guy. Well, apparently, the chaplain tells the story. The chaplain of the Bears that that he had asked uh, the team before a game, do do any of you lugs know the Lord's Prayer? Well, big William Perry puts his hand up. Well, Jack McMahon, who was the famed quarterback at the time, interrupted and said, I'll give $20 if he knows the Lord's Prayer. So the chaplain told Perry to, to go ahead. So Perry began. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep if I should die before I wake. I pray the Lord my soul to take. Then he sat down and smiled. McMahon walked over to Perry Gave him the $20 and said, well, how did I know he knew the prayer? <laughs> you know, people are just a little confused on this issue because prayer can be a bit confusing. I mean, now think about it. Let's just explore this concept of prayer. What do you say to someone who knows everything? Because the reality is prayer has always been somewhat of a, an enigma to me and and being French, I tend to be honest about these things to myself. There's a struggle within us. I mean, none of us are going to admit that we pray enough. Have you ever met anybody, anyone, who said, you know, actually, I, I, I pray a little too much, trying to cut back on my prayer, praying time. No, we're all convinced we don't pray enough, 
But why is it because it's so easy, you pray. And yet it's not so easy for us to continue. And maybe it's because down deep, we're not sure it works. Down deep, we're not sure that God actually hears our prayer when we pray. We're told God is all wise. Are we not? So what am I going to pray? I'm going to suggest something to make him smarter. I am told that God is all good. So am I going to suggest something he could do to make him better? I'm not alone with these questions. C.S. Lewis had said this about it, and I quote, Infinite wisdom does not need telling what is best. And infinite goodness needs no urging to do it. But neither does God need any of those things that are done by finite agents, whether living or animate. He could, if he chose, repair our bodies miraculously without food, or, or give us food without the aid of farmers, bakers, and butchers, or our knowledge without the age of uh, aid of learned men, or convert the heathen without missionaries. Indeed, he allows soils and weathers and animals and muscles and minds and the wills of men to cooperate in the execution of his will. Now that's interesting. If prayer is not suggesting new ideas for God to be smarter, and if prayer is not suggesting things he could do so God could be better, then what is the whole purpose of prayer in the first place? Well, here, if you haven't already, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. If you love Jesus, you've got your Bibles. If you, if you don't have your Bibles, consider yourself rebuked. Bring them next week, all right? Luke chapter 11, and, and let's begin with these first four verses. Luke records this. He says, and it came about that while he, Jesus, was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Just as John, John the Baptist, one of the disciples of John the Baptist. Teach us to pray like John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, Father, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Give us this each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. You know, there's a question that, that Jesus answers here at the very beginning. When you pray... You begin your prayer with, Father. You're talking to your heavenly Father. There, there's a question that every human being, soon you pubertate enough to really get to a point you're asking deep questions. And the question is this. Do we or do we not live in a friendly universe? I mean, is there a creator or is there not? And in this universe we live in, if there is a creator, is he for us or is he against us? Somewhat of a basic question. Did you know every time Jesus prayed during his time on this earth, every time Jesus prayed, he began every prayer with, Father, Father. Well, except for one exception. And that's when he's on the cross. Remember when he's on the cross and he cries out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of our liberal friends say, See, he's losing it. Right there, he's doubting. He's not so sure what he is. He's going, oh my God, my God, what's going on? Listen, if you're losing it, you don't quote scripture, right? And he's quoting Psalm 22.1. And the reason he's quoting Psalm 22.1 is because if you want to know what Jesus was thinking and feeling while he was on the cross, read Psalm 22. 
Because he knew the whole psalm. He didn't know just the first verse, right? He is the Son of God. He wrote the picking thing, all right? And it was a prophetic statement. But every other time Jesus prayed, he always began every prayer with Father. Now, do you ever wonder why? Now, a little theology, okay? <laughs> Since you won't come to seminary, I'll bring seminary to you. All right. The Trinity. Now, I, I'm well aware that, that most of us are embarrassed about the Trinity. Because you have friends ask you and say, you believe God's three gods? No, 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 no. We believe in the Trinity. That God is one God, three persons, one God. And they go, oh, you believe in a three-headed God. No, 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 no. One God, three persons, one God. And they go, you're nuts. How can you understand something like that? Well, we come up with dumb metaphors. Well, God's like an egg. You have a shell and the yolk and the white. And God's an egg? I don't think so. Well, no, it's like water. Sometimes water is... Uh, I hope you haven't used these illustrations, you know. Uh, <laughs> please, God, forgive me if he has. But water, it's a nice attempt. It's a godly attempt. But, you know, sometimes water's solid. Sometimes it's liquid. Sometimes it's steam. Well, God's that way. Like, God keeps changing. No, 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 no. Sigmund Freud. Sigmund Freud was an atheist. Sigmund Freud believed that we made up all our gods out of our sexual frustration. All right? We, we just imagine gods. And, you know, maybe he's right. But I got a question. If we made up God, why would I make up a God that I cannot fully understand nor explain? Is anybody following this? So if I was going to make up a God, I'd make up Thor. You know, or pick up something you really like and do the McDonald's supersize deal, right? That's what most people do. But the fact is, God reveals himself in a way that I, I can't fully explain how you have God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all making up the Godhead, one God in perfect unity, and yet three separate... Per I don't get it either. I can't explain it. I don't understand it. Which makes me believe I didn't make it up. But rather, God revealed himself to be so. Are you following me on this? Now, here's my question. Within the Trinity, within the Trinity... First person of Trinity, second person of Trinity. You know, they could have described their relationship any way they wanted, right? They could have described their relationship as brothers, cousins, uh, 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 Batman and Robin, uh, 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 Ben and Jerry make ice cream. I mean, they could have described their relationship any way they want. And how do they describe? The first person of Trinity refers to himself as father. And then in Hebrews 1, he says, And I declared the second person of the Trinity as my son. In case we think that means he's less than, he says, And by the way, in Hebrews 1, all you angels worship him. And God says, You only worship God. He wants to make sure because he declares the second person of the Trinity, still God, but he declares the relationship father son, son father. Have you ever wondered why that relationship? There's big words you learn in seminary. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8 and 9, it says, because Jesus Christ came, we have been justified. Now, I know a lot of big words. Justified. Uh, superlapsarianism, infolapsarianism, watermelon, cantaloupe. I mean, a lot of big words. Mississippi, all right? All the word, the word justify. And that is true. When you came to a point that you humbled yourself, and you admitted and owned up to your own sinfulness and said, God, I, I'm broken here. I need forgiveness. It says God justified you. Uh, sometimes the same word, dikaios, is translated made righteous. 
Now, now you kind of go, great, I am now justified. What does that mean? It's like in a court of law, you were declared justified. The word justified, the word dekaios is the Greek word. It was an ancient uh, architectural term. And all it was is that when they drew pictures like a building, and you're going to have a, uh, different angles in the building, it spoke of the right relationship between two lines. So if you wanted a right angle, like over in that corner, then you would have two lines, hook them to the corner, and the moment you had how many degrees? <laughs> I know it's Sunday morning. 90, very, very good. He does more than singing here. He's good looking. Anyhow, 90 degrees. Those, those lines are justified. Have you ever heard that term? It means they're placed in a right relationship. So when God, when you responded to the gift of His Son, God declared you justified. You are now declared in a right relationship with God. What was the right relationship? <laughs> you do know God, Creator, we're creatures, but God's all, got all kinds of creatures. He's got dogs, cats, worms, pigs, snails, and you. <laughs> so we're all creatures. And we relate to the Creator with fear. Let's appease the Creator. Let's have a hundred religions and fear the Creator. Or let's just ignore the Creator. But God said, that's never the relationship I wanted. The relationship I wanted is the same one I have with the second person within the Trinity, Father, Son. He said, I wanted you to have a relationship with your Creator, not creature Creator, but Father, Son, Son, Father, Father, Daughter, Daughter, Father, a parent relationship. That's the one he always wants. Why do you think he created you in his own image? No other creatures created in the image of God, not even angels. But we have a capacity to manifest what our creator, no, we have a capacity in these bodies to manifest what our father is like and actually live out what our father wants to do. Now, this was a relationship that God always wanted to have with us. Uh, John chapter 1, verse 12. What does it say? But as many as believe in Jesus Christ, to them God gave the authority for them to become the what? The sons of God. The children of God. That's what he's talking about. A relationship with God the Father, just like his son has. There is a strange verse in Romans. Remember, you know Romans 8, 28. Everybody knows that. God works all things together for good to those who love God and are called according to His, his purpose. Do you ever wonder what His purpose was? Next verse. When in, here's biblical study. Read the pick in next verse. All right? Verse 29, he says, Because God is conforming all of us into the image of His Son, watch it, who's the firstborn among Many brethren. You see, he declared the second person of Trinity who's God by nature. We're not God by nature. But in relationship, he wanted to have the same relationship with us that he has with the second person in the Trinity. That's why Jesus is called the firstborn. The firstborn. We have a relationship with Jesus Christ as our Savior because he died and provided for our forgiveness, right? We have a relationship with Jesus our Lord because He's God the Son and He rules our lives. But there's a third relationship and we're kind of not too careful because of our Mormon friends. We're kind of afraid to say this. But there is a relationship with Jesus Christ as our older brother because He is doing everything we have this deep heart desire to do. You say, what, what do you mean? Let me tell you what happened to you. In, in Ezekiel 36... 
the prophecies that when the Messiah would come, not only would he cleanse you from all your sins, but then he says in Ezekiel 36, and I will place my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. You got the same thing in Jeremiah 31, 33. He says, I will not only forgive your sins, your iniquities, I will never no more, but he says, I'll place my law within your heart. You know what happened to you when you became a believer, a follower of Christ? Yeah, you were declared in a right relationship with God. And that happened because your sins were forgiven. But remember, Jesus said you'd be baptized in water and spirit. The spirit part was the fact he'd placed the spirit within you. How do you know? Because when you became a Christian, you were implanted with a desire deep within your heart you never had before. Say, what desire would that be? A desire to honor God as your father. Before that, you didn't know who God was. Or you were scared of God. Or you appraised God. Or you ignored, whatever it is you did. But once all of a sudden the Spirit of God came within you, did a little heart transplant, and all of a sudden you've got this deep desire to honor God as your father. Here's the problem. Who knows how to do that? Right now, come on. Well, are we going to smile? Let's all be nice. That's not the point. I wish we had somebody who actually knew how, who's a son in relationship with God the Father and has a deep desire to honor, just like we do, the Heavenly Father. I wish we had somebody who could show us how to do it. Does anybody have any suggestions? Well, who's the only guy who ever heard from heaven twice? This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. That is baptism. But then he heard again in his transfiguration. This is my beloved son and whom I'm well pleased. Do you remember that movie, Babe? What was it, about 10 years ago? I don't know. You guys were all a little tiny. It was about the little pig. Anybody remember a little pig? I, I won't even share it with you unless somebody remembers about the little pig. Well, remember it's a little pig who thinks he's a sheepdog, right? He's down in Australia and he's got this quiet farmer and, 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 and the pig's going to be for pork. But, but this little pig, you know, he becomes this great sheepdog. Remember, they finally come to the end of the movie and they have the big contest of all the sheepdogs in all Australia and the pig wins because the pig knows how to talk to the sheep. It's a great movie, all right? I'm not saying I go to movies, but if I had, I would have gone to that one. But the point is, do you remember at the very end of the movie, the farmer, everybody's cheering and the stands, farmer's standing there, a little pig down there looking up at him. And remember what he said? He looked down at the pig and he said, that will do, pig. That's kind of all I'm hoping with Jesus. One day is, Jesus said, Daryl, that will do, pig. You know, just the fact is, we just have this desire that wouldn't it be great to hear God the Father, our Creator, actually say, well done. This is my beloved daughter whom I'm well pleased, and this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased as he declares it to the angels. Isn't that what it's all about? So, therefore, that's why we follow Jesus Christ. That's why we are becoming the image of Jesus Christ. Now, what does this have to do with prayer? Well, read on. Verse 5 to 10. Jesus says, And he said to them, Suppose one of you have a friend, and shall go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. <laughs> what kind of friend is this? Uh, we've got them. For a friend of mine has come to me from a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. Well, if you're that irresponsible, you ought to just starve. <laughs> That's if I would have written it, but it's written in red, so it's Jesus, so not me here. 
And from inside he shall answer and say, Do not bother me. The door has already been shut. My children and I are in bed. Man, they all slept together back in those days in one big bed. So you got all the kids in bed. You're gonna, I'm going to wake up all the kids. Are you nuts? I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything, because he is his friend, yet, because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Any of you guys ever watched Big Bang? My wife bans me. She does not let me watch Big Bang, but when she's not around, I watch it, just because it's so dumb. Remember, who, who's the tall, skinny guy? Penny, 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 Penny. That's the way, remember he has, he gets the guy, the guy to open the door. Penny, penny, penny. Well, persistence. It's the same thing with this guy's doing right here. He's just basically bothering this guy persistently until what? And I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it will be opened to you. And everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it shall be open. I want to know what is opened? What do I find as I persistently pray? Why is there perseverance in this praying thing? Notice he says, asking, seeking, knocking. How come? And by the way, each of these is an imperative. Literally what Jesus is saying, keep on asking, keep on knocking, and, 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 and keep on seeking here. Well, why? Why? Is this some kind of a game? No, but think about it. Do you think God's trying to move us from a whim to an honest prayer, an honest request? Question. If someone comes to you and they ask you for something once, and after that they forget about it, what does that tell you about the person who's asking you? How important is it to them what they're asking you for? Not very much. So it's not really an honest request. It's a whim. And all of a sudden, we think, well, God is some kind of a cosmic uh, machine that all I've got to do is just, you know, or make my order like a waiter upstairs and whatever I want. And God, wait, wait, wait. God says, if you're not going to take it seriously, why should I take it seriously? If what you're asking for is not important for you to keep asking, it's not important for you to keep seeking, it's not important enough for you to keep knocking, if it's not important to you, why should I think it's important to me? Actually, it kind of makes sense because I think he's moving us from prayer. I should say he's moving us to prayer from magic. Magic. Yeah, you heard me right. I've been a pastor now for 45 years. I'm amazed at how often I hear people talk about prayer. And I get a little confused the way they talk about prayer because I'm not sure they're talking about prayer. They're talking about magic. Have you ever looked up the word magic? Look up the word M-A, look up the word magic. You know what the word magic means? It means to manipulate spiritual powers to carry out your will, your desires. That's magic. So magic is somehow come up with conjuring, uh, coming up with some kind of incant incantation, something to try to get the spiritual powers to give me what I want. That's not prayer. That's magic. And many times we start thinking prayer and we confuse it with magic. And Jesus wants to make sure, we're not talking magic here. It's not about whims, orders of what you want, but rather this perseverance has something to do with, not that God's not ready to give you something, it's are you ready to receive something? Now again, what is the something? 
When I pray, when I ask, keep on asking, keep on seeking, and I keep on knocking, so that what I'm asking the Father for is actually something I really want. Something that's really important to me. Well, what am I going to get? Look at the response. Verse 11, 13. Isn't this a kicker? Now, suppose one of you, fathers, is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Kind of go, hope not. Or if he asks for an egg, he's not going to give him a scorpion, will he? Jesus, what's your point? If you then, being evil, notice Jesus kind of raw, honest. He says, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, notice to your what? Children. What kind of relationship does God want with us? Father to children. The parallel is to a father to a children. So he says, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? What? I'm praying for a new Corvette. Have you seen the new vets? I had a 62 when I was in college. What a chick magnet. When you look like this, you got to have a Corvette. Because that's the only way you're going to hook up with girls. Oh, well, not that word hook's different now, okay? Good dates, all right? I better be careful. I apologize. Uh, 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 when I turned um, 55, I, I got a 2001 Corvette. And boy, I love that. I mean, ooh, uh, you, you don't have to go fast when you have a Corvette. Well, I, you know, but it got to a point I couldn't really get out of it very easily. So, but, but the new ones are great. Now, wait, I'm praying, God, God, I want a Corvette. I'd look so good in a Corvette. I could reach the youth in Corvette. <laughs> you know, God has not given me a, a Corvette. What, what, what's the problem here? Well, maybe if I pray more, maybe if I exercise more magic, I can, I can force the God of the universe to give me what I want. Whoa, 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 that's magic. Well, well then what is this? I ask for a Corvette and I get the Holy Spirit. Can I trade the Holy Spirit in for a Corvette? So, again, what's he talking about? Well, you know, the question you may ask, is there really a very clear statement in the Bible that actually says, says, God hears our prayers? Also, grasshopper, I'm glad you asked. 1 John, chapter 5, listen to verse 13 and 14. These things, John writes, these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, in order that you may know you have eternal life. The word there is oida. It means to, without doubt, you know you have a relationship with God. That's what eternal life is. Remember in John 17, when Jesus prayed in verses 1 and 2, he says, now, I came to give them eternal life, and this is eternal life, that they may know the Father and the Son. Eternal life is to have a relationship as a child to a father, father to a child. He says, now, John says, I've written these things so you know you have a heavenly father who views you as a son, who views you as a daughter. That's why Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 6, the last verse of the chapter, God says, and I'll be a father to you and you'll be sons and daughters to, to me. Now watch this. So I've written these things, 1 John, so you know. That he's your heavenly father. Now listen to the next verse. And this is the confidence that we have before him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now listen to this next verse. And if we know that he hears us 
in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. Hello. Remember we said relationships are based on trust and respect? You mean what you say, you do what you promise. Right there, God hears my prayers, and it says if he hears my prayers, I have the request. Has anybody ever experienced unanswered prayer? Let me see your hands. I rest you lying suckers. We all have. So, excuse me. God, here's my prayer. I have the answer. I've prayed and didn't get the What is wrong here? Anybody see the fine print? What does it say? If anybody asks according to his will, he hears us. Ha! Dog, God, why does it have to be according to the will of God? Because this isn't about magic. Now, well, you do understand why that's kind of a catch for most people. Because most people are scared to death of the will of God. Come on, we all know the will of God. God wants to break your legs and make you play the flute, don't we? We know God wants to rain on your parade and make your life horrible. That's why most Christians act like they've been baptized in pickle juice. I mean, we just know it, that life's got to really be horrible because God's will for my life is, you know, God's got some bad PR going down here on this earth. That's why in Romans chapter 12, first 11 chapters of Romans, Paul, Paul says, this is all that God's done for you. He has, he has sought us out. He's provided for our forgiveness. He's justified us. He's secured us. He's done, given us the Spirit of God. He's done all of this. And in chapter 12, Paul starts begging. Chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says, I'm begging you. Present your body a living sacrifice. Now, aren't you glad it's living sacrifice? Living sacrifice. Why? Okay, here it is, God. It's yours. What are you going to do with it? Next verse, he says, because I want you to prove something. Prove what? And he says in Romans 12, verse 2, I want you with your body, your life, prove one thing. The will of God is something good and perfect and acceptable. The only way people are going to finally figure out the will of God is not something to be afraid of. Is when they see those of us who are committed to live out and receive the will of God, and our lives are basically strong, and our lives are filled with hope and purpose and significance, God wants some of us to say, hey, God's will be done in my life. That's all I want for Christmas. Now, who else was like that? Remember in John chapter 4, Jesus shows up there in Samaria, and, 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 and the boys show up, and they bring lunch, and he says, I'm not hungry. And they go, well, 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 who brought him lunch? Remember what Jesus said in John 4? My food is to do what? The will of him who sent me. So what does it mean that when we pray, that we pray according to the will of God, and somehow he says, Jesus says, I promise. God, you asked for a, 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 a fish, I'm not going to give you a snake. Uh, 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 you asked for a, a, a bread, I'm not going to give you a rock. But he says, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. Why? What do I want with the Holy Spirit? Listen, do you, do you like being taken out of context? Doesn't it bother you when someone just, you're saying something and somebody takes it right out of context and rips you? Again, you all know Romans 8.28, right? God works all things together for good. That's ripped out of context. Let me take you to the beginning of the paragraph, verse 26. Listen. Romans 8.26. 
And in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. What weakness? Read on. For we do not know how to pray as we should. Oh, oh, that weakness. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is. God who searches our hearts, our deepest, most important, the stuff that we would ask, 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 seek, 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 knock, 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 because it's really important to us. It says, he who searches the hearts, God knows what we really want. He knows what the mind of the Spirit, they don't have to go to speech communication class. They really communicate well. Watch it. He says, what the mind of the Spirit is, because he, the Spirit, intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. Let me bring this to a close. Why does Jesus say the gift he's going to give when you pray, it's going to be the Holy Spirit. Because when he places the Holy Spirit in you, the very first thing the Holy Spirit does is changes your heart desire. And what is your heart desire? I know I want a vet. I know you want a new dress and you want this and you want, you want, we all want all kinds of stuff. But down deep in your heart, what is it that you really, really want? I want the will of God done on this earth. We wouldn't have Paris if the will of God and people were living out the will of God on this earth as it is in heaven. I just want, and I want it as deeply as Jesus Christ wants it. That's what makes me a son. That's what makes you a daughter. Because that's our heart desire. And when the Father looks at our heart, he knows that's what we deeply desire. So I'm asking all kinds of stuff, but I don't know what to ask for. I don't always know what the will of God is, but I get a little help. Who takes my prayer and conforms it in intercession? When I pray, the Holy Spirit changes my prayer according to what? The will of God. And when the Holy Spirit changes my will, my prayer, to the will of God, guess who hears it? This is an easy question. 1 John 5, he hears it. And if he hears it, we have the request. You want to know why sometimes you have what you experience called unanswered prayer? Because what we pray for, by the time the Holy Spirit is done changing it and conforming it to the will of God, is so different from what we asked. When we get it, we don't even recognize it. And we declare it unanswered prayer. And all along, God made an provided an opportunity for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, this is why Jesus Christ is conforming us to the image of his son. Have you ever heard that phrase? Again, Romans 8, 29. For he, all things work together for good. For those who love God, called according to his purpose. What purpose? Next verse. Conforming us into the image of his son. Have you ever asked, what does that mean? I'm going to start wearing sandals. I'll finally get enough hair hormones to get a nice, where's the guy with the beautiful white beard? Oh, got a beard. Hair my hair. I want to wear a white robe. I'm going to look just like Jesus. What do you think it means to be conformed to the image of Jesus? It means that I would have the exact same desire, the same heart, in relationship to my Heavenly Father, as my big brother Jesus does. And what was the most important thing to my big brother? 
I mean, the guy read the pamphlet on crucifixion. He knew it was going to hurt. He's in the garden. He says, God, remove this cup from me. I don't want to be crucified. Hebrews says he hated the idea of that kind of suffering because he knew how horrible it was going to be. God, he said, if it's possible, can this cup be removed from me? Remember what he's asking? God, can we do it some other way? And then immediately, what did Jesus say as, 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 as the stress and the, 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 the corpuscles broke in his brow and he bled? But not my will, but thy will be done. What was the most important expression of the image of Jesus Christ? The will of the Father be done. And that is exactly what God is using everything in our life in prayer, is that we would finally release the deepest, deepest desires of our heart so much that really the only things we're going to be asking God, our Heavenly Father, for are going to be things that will be implementing His will. And the promise, does God hear us? We've got the statement. If I ask anything according to the will of God, my Heavenly Father, what? Hears me. And if He hears me, I have the what? I have the request. Any time, any time I want to implement the will of God through my life, and I ask God to make it so, it happens. So, question we started with, does God hear our prayers? Our, does our Father hear the prayers of His sons and daughters who have a deep, deep heart to see His will implemented on this earth. Of course he hears our prayers. And when we're asking for his will to be done, he's given us the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, so that we can have that guarantee that whatever we ask, the Spirit will conform it to the will of God. God will hear my prayer. I will know I have a relationship with my Heavenly Father because I'll be living my life implementing his will. You know, this is why the Apostle Paul said, I've had people ask me, is there anywhere in the Bible that actually says what the will of God is? I mean, like I say right now, you know, before lunch you want to go do the will of God. Well, yeah, this, this is all the will of God. Everything that Pastor Chuck teaches you, you're learning the will of God. You know why he teaches you the scriptures? So it's easier for you to pray. Wouldn't it be kind of cool? If you kind of knew what the will of God, the kinds of stuff God wants to implement in this world, if you knew what those were, you could ask for them, and then you would see prayer come up like a, a, a light in your life and a force that you could not even believe. But there is a verse. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Paul says in verse 16, 17, 18, it says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ for you. He says, you want to know what the will of God in Christ for you? When you wake up in the morning, wake up rejoicing. And you know what that means? Not fearful. 
The word joy means the absence of fear. Wake up and stop being afraid of terrorism and of Paris. And what if it happens to us? Stop waking up being fearful, but wake up rejoicing. How can I do that? By praying always, without ceasing. The word out means like a cough. <laughs> like you can't stop coughing. That's what the word unceasing means. It's not, okay, gotta get on my knees. Don't close your eyes, you're gonna hit a tree if you're driving, right? It means you just had this constant conversation with God and why am I asking, seeking, and knocking? I don't care about my whims, that's magic. Maybe I'll get some, maybe I won't. But what I'm really caring about, what's really important, God? What am I really asking and deeply desire? And then start giving thanks in everything. Start giving thanks and everything, because you know what? Rejoicing, pray without ceasing, giving thanks. That's all describing a person who constantly prays. Constantly prays. Does any of this thing make sense, or do we need to spend another hour and I need to go through it again? You got it? So what does it mean that everything is to conform us to Jesus Christ, the image of his Son, that we might become more and more like who we are, sons and daughters of Heavenly Father. Romans chapter 8, verse 16, he's still not convinced. He says, he did not give us the spirit of slavery, but the spirit of adoption. So we cry out, Abba, Abba Father. So don't you know that catches verse 16 of Romans 8, and I'll close with this. He says, for it's the spirit of God that bears witness with your spirit that you are a child of God. So get it in your mind. It's Father. It's not Creator. It's Father who hears the prayers of His children and He knows the deepest desire of His children is that the Father's will be done and implemented on this earth. That's the arena of prayer. You play in that arena, prayer will change your life. Heavenly Father, I pray that this has made sense to my brothers and sisters. Lord, we, we get so far off this thing. And we call it prayer, and it's, like I said, it's magic. Sometimes we think if we say in the name of Jesus Christ as some incantation that makes, makes you kind of have to do something you don't want to do. Father, help us to be wise children. Help us to be as our big brother, as you're conforming us into the image of Jesus Christ. And Lord, as his desire that your will be done, that he may be part of implementing it in his life as he did. That's what you call upon us. This is where we find our purpose, our significance. This is where we find our joy. And so, Father, this is what I'm asking. In the name of Jesus Christ, because I know it is your will.